0: You're listening to the Violence Design Lab Podcast, Episode 1. Welcome to the Violence Design Lab Podcast, putting the science in theatrical violence. Now here's your host, David Bearford. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Violence Design Lab Podcast. I'm David Bearford, and I'm so excited to have you along with me right at the start of this adventure. And since today is a day of beginnings for the podcast, I thought it'd be fitting if my first topic related to beginning your career in fight choreography. Specifically, when can you transition from a fighter to a violence designer? This can be a really awkward time in your artistic journey because often there's not a clear jumping off point to get to that next level. Maybe you've had some stage combat training and you've done pretty well in your classes and workshops. Maybe you've acted in several shows where you performed fights that rocked it and you seem to really get playing violent characters. But you know you're nowhere near the wealth of information and experience that your teachers and your mentors seem to be. So when is it time for you to take the plunge? Well, today I'm going to give you three questions to ask yourself to find out whether or not you're ready to launch into that project or a full career as a theatrical violence designer. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, I'll also give you some extra tips about how to prepare for a show's first production meeting, and I'll let you know how you can get my free checklist that I call 7 Ways to Arm Yourself for the First Production Meeting. If you've never done a design for a production before, this will help you start the project confidently and go in sounding like a pro. And if you have done some designs already, well, this is still a handy reminder to have around, just to make sure you have all your bases covered. Now, I want to share a little information about my transition from fighter to designer, since this may well be the first time you've heard of me or have stopped by my website, violencedesignlab.com. My journey in design began back in 1992. I had started my acting career up in Minneapolis for a couple of years, doing a lot of Shakespeare and other classics where stage combat, and especially sword work, came up a lot. I had been studying stage combat with David Dursch, better known as Pops in the fight world, and I had trained with him almost weekly for about two years. I'd gotten all the SAFD actor-combatant certifications they offered at the time. I think it was five weapons back then. Then I was cast in a repertory company as Captain LeBray in Cyrano de Bergerac, and I was psyched to do some rapier work. And then I learned that the company hadn't yet hired anyone for the fights, and they didn't know where to find someone. So I went to Pops, and I said, Hey, I'm doing this show, and I need a choreographer. Can I give him your name? And David said... Actually, I'm too busy right now. You do it. <laughs> I'm sure my jaw dropped a little bit, and, and I said, Well, I've never choreographed before. And he said, Well, you got to start somewhere, right? And that was that. I mean, talk about being thrown into the deep end. Well, I went on. I, I choreographed Cyrano and two other shows for that company. I learned so much that summer. See, I knew a, a fair amount of stage combat technique, but it was all focused on performing fights. And while knowing good technique is essential for creating safe choreography, it's only one of the skills that makes a good violence designer. And that's why the road to violence design is tricky, because there's not a lot of help out there. Lots of places teach acting or directing. If you go to college or a university, you can get courses in designing sets or costumes or designing lights, but violence design is not normally taught in the same manner. Well, since that summer back in 92, I've designed fights and violence for close to 250 productions at theaters all over the country, from the Pacific Northwest, where I live now, all the way over to Massachusetts, with a long bunch of stops in the middle there, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana. A big 16-year chunk of my professional work was in Chicago, where I founded R&D Choreography with Richard Gilbert. And now, I'm creating the Violence Design Lab to give back to our art form and help you launch your own career as a designer, because theatrical violence is the absolute coolest theater art form there is, and I'm passionate about coming alongside and helping you to get into this career like I have. So the question comes up again, how do you know when you're ready? Well, I have three things I want you to ask yourself, and they relate to safety, illusion, and story you're going to often hear me mention those three elements when I talk about other facets of our work. I call them the tripod of stage combat because all three are critical to a good design. The first of our three questions then relates to safety. Number one, are you prepared to be responsible for the physical safety of others? Now I don't want to come off as overly dramatic here, I mean although that is a occupational hazard for us, right? But actors can get hurt doing fight choreography if they do it wrong or if you're asking them to perform techniques that are unsafe. And, by the way, this question isn't directly related to your legal liability or your insurance coverage, although, as I speak, I'm jotting down a note to talk about those issues in a later episode because they do come up. But right now, I'm talking about the fact that your actors will be relying on you to give them techniques that will reasonably prevent them from being hurt. They'll trust you because you're the fight guy or the fight gal. And as a designer, you have to honor that trust and take it very seriously. Now, I'm not here to tell you that people never get hurt in shows if you're a responsible designer. Stage combat is a vigorous physical activity, and accidents happen just like they do in sports. You know, maybe someone steps weird and they twist an ankle, or they do a bad roll one time and bonk their shoulder. I mean, it happens. But just like you don't go into a pickup basketball game with your friends expecting to come out black and blue, your actor should not be getting bruised up or smacked with swords or really getting punched. And if that kind of thing happens with any regularity, you need to take a step back and take a hard look at what's going on. I'm going to take a little side trip here and talk about what to do if you are in that situation, because I don't want you to get completely spooked and stop designing forever. You have to start by examining when the injuries have happened. If actors are getting hurt in rehearsal, you have a teaching issue. You might be pushing them along too fast, adding speed too early, you know, before they've solidified good technique habits. It can also happen if you're rehearsing without the appropriate safety gear for learning. Never try to learn your first shoulder roll without a gym mat? Yeah, that hardwood floor, it's a rough teacher. So if rehearsal injuries are your problem... Find a stage combat teacher or a designer you trust and see if you can assist them in a class or on a show. But I want you to pay special attention to the sequence and the manner in which they teach the technique and the choreography. And if you can, practice teaching these techniques to actors and students under that person's supervision until you feel confident you can bring people from novice to performance level without injury. If people are getting hurt and hit in your performances, Now you likely have technique issues. I can't diagnose in a podcast if your technique itself is shoddy or if it's because you haven't developed your critical eye enough to determine whether your actors are doing good technique incorrectly. But again, find an experienced person you trust and run your choreography by them to make sure it's sound. And if it is, work with them teaching technique to actors and ask for help noticing the details of how they're working in fighting. Pay attention to the notes your mentor gives them, because very often there are underlying problems like distance, extension, and targeting that can be the real causes behind the surface symptoms, and those issues can cause real danger when things get up to speed and actors get all jacked up with adrenaline in performance. So it's important to have the skills to keep people injury-free, and you've got to work out any chronic safety issues first and foremost. But if you design long enough, I guarantee you one thing. You're going to come up against a show that requires a move you've never done before or a weapon you've never trained with. Or maybe it needs something you've never even heard of being done before. Does that mean that you should turn down the show? Not necessarily. And that brings us to the second of my three questions to make sure you're ready to design. Number two. Are you ready to tinker under the hood with stage combat principles that you do know? Now there are hundreds, possibly thousands, of specific stage combat techniques, and I bet you don't know them all. I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years, and I certainly don't. But as many standardized techniques as you can learn, or fighting styles that you care to study, there's always going to come a show with a moment that needs something you don't have a technique for. I mean, I've been challenged with shows that require specific characters to get his trachea severed with pruning shears, or for one guy to throw a rock and hit a running leopard character in the forehead, or a character to fight in some over-the-top frog-style kung fu for a comic musical. You just don't find specific training for those kinds of things but I want to encourage you to realize that what you've been taught is more than a collection of specific techniques. Yes, there's hundreds of techniques and there's scores of weapons, but there's a vastly smaller set of underlying principles that make all stage combat safe and effective. And when you understand those, you can design new techniques to cover specific situations, even though you've never been taught a specific illusion to do that before. Let me make up a concrete example to clarify what I mean. Uh, Imagine your play calls for Joe to hit Bob in the head with a hammer. And, you know, it's not negotiable because Bob has a line in Act 2 that says, Joe hit me right in the head with a hammer. Hmm. Well, okay, you've had classes in Unarmed and Quarterstaff, but at that last workshop, yeah, that rapier and hammer class was full up and you missed it. But you still have to tell that hammer hit story and make the illusion work because it's in the play. So what do you do? You tinker under the hood. One thing's immediately obvious here. A contact head hit with a steel hammer? Yeah, that's a bad idea. And even a plastic or a rubber substitute would be uncomfortable, and it probably wouldn't be delivered with the the ferocity and power that you'd like to convey. Okay, so it's a non-contact hit then. And what do you know about non-contact moves? All of them. Well, at some point in the attack, there has to be a straight line between the target, the weapon, and the eye of every audience member. So maybe in this situation, you set it up almost like one of those non-contact right cross. You know, like that iconic face punch we all know, but just holding a hammer while you do it. Of course, make sure that the tool doesn't endanger Bob's face during the swing. And then Joe does an active nap, or Bob does a passive one to get the sound. You probably want to add a more dramatic reaction to the hit than a simple punch. And bang, you've just designed your first move. See... Tinkering not only lets you design to create almost anything a play might call for, but it lets your choreography break free of that plug-and-play trap that some choreographers fall into. What do I mean by plug-and-play? Well, let's talk rapier for a second. Now, historically, there's a bunch of very divergent styles of rapier fighting. Uh, you know, capoferro, fabris, uh, Spanish destreza, just to name a few. But in mainstream stage combat, certainly in America, we have these standardized rapier parries, uh, and there are about nine of them, usually numbered preem to eight. I mean, it makes it easier to remember, easier to teach in a two-hour workshop. It has its advantages. But I have literally seen a choreographer plan out a rapier duel for a show by choreographing his phone number, you know, 312544, four, that, that kind of thing. And that level of vanilla, ungrounded work just makes me crazy. And even if you're not doing something that blatantly arbitrary, and it's so easy to slip into the mindset of thinking, well, I have this set of techniques, and then I just arrange them in different ways for the next fight. I mean, sure, I can take a box of Legos, and I can build an X Wing then i can take it apart and build a train engine or a building or something but you know what it's always going to look like legos i mean if the only tool you have is a hammer pretty soon every problem looks like a nail right and and that's the main reason about 20 years ago i started describing myself as a violence designer rather than a fight choreographer because i'm not just building fights from building blocks i'm I'm telling stories of violent relationships between characters without harming the storytellers. And sometimes my Legos aren't enough to get the job done. And that brings me to my third and final question I want you to ask yourself. Number three. Are you ready to put story before your own choreographic indulgence? Now... We violence designers hold a nearly unique position in the production team. We have the amazing power to literally create story and character through our work. I mean, sure, directors shape the whole play, and the way an actor portrays a character can make a huge impact on how that character is perceived. But actors and directors can't really add or change lines or story elements too significantly. I mean, they can cut the script, I suppose. But violence designers regularly make decisions that can literally change the meaning of the scene or the perception of the character. I was fortunate enough to do a Macbeth with Richard Gilbert of R&D Choreography, where the piece was set in the Caribbean. And after clearing this idea with the director, we went with the notion that the magic was real. And Macbeth had been given a charm bag by the witches that literally made him invulnerable. And Macduff's solid machete hits did nothing to Mac until Macduff ripped the bag off Macbeth's neck and sliced his gut open in the process. You know, Macbeth stood there wobbling, basically eviscerated, giving his, yet I will try the last speech. And then he just collapsed dead after he said, damn be him, that first cries hold enough. Now that was an amazing show and it was so cool that the setting worked out to make that possible it it allowed us to make this huge decision for the entire show that magic was real it wasn't one of those deals where it's Macbeth's confidence that makes him believe that he can't be killed no no he literally could not be killed by Macduff until that charm bag was taken off now the thing is even though that was a great, clever choreographic idea, I think, you can't just put them in for their own sake. I've always wanted to, to design the Romeo and Tybalt fight, where Romeo leaps in to attack Tybalt, and he ends up disarming him in the scuffle. Then after a pause, where Tybalt stands there, basically defenseless, Romeo just takes his rapier and jacks it through Tybalt's gut, I mean, straight up murdering him. Doesn't change any of the lines at all, still follows the stage direction of they fight, Tybalt falls... But look at how that affects Romeo's later remorse and the whole, oh, it was an accident idea that we see so often. I think that would be a wickedly interesting premise. But here's the thing. I've choreographed r ten times now. And not once have I had the opportunity to use that nugget of inspiration. Because good design is not about my coolness. It's about serving the story of the characters and the theme of the director's vision expressed through the play. I mean, so go ahead, get creative, please. But always remember that story is king. So there you go. Three questions to see if you're ready to design. Number one, are you ready to be responsible for the physical safety of others? Number two, are you ready to tinker under the hood to create just the right illusion And number three, are you willing to put story ahead of choreographic indulgence? If you answer yes to those big three questions, you are definitely ready. You can do this. You're going to learn so much on your first project, you won't be able to wait to try it again. So go out there and just knock that first design right out of the park. At the top of the episode, I mentioned a checklist that would prepare you for your first production meeting. I call it Seven Ways to Arm Yourself for the First Production Meeting. Now I'm going to run through that briefly here, but don't worry, I know many of you are listening to the podcast in your car or while you're working out or jogging or whatever, and you can't exactly stop and take notes. So I've put together this handy PDF for your reference. To get it, simply visit my website at violencedesignlab.com and click the resources link on the menu bar. That'll take you to a page where you can see all the freebies I mentioned in my episodes, and you can sign up as a lab rat to get free access to all the bonus podcast content. So here we go. Number one, read the script. I know, I know, crazy, right? But it's easy to get a little lazy here. Like I said, I've designed Macbeth, I think, eight times. I know the story. I know the lines around the violence often better than the actors do. But I have to read the production script every time. Why? Why? Productions, especially with Shakespeare, tend to cut things, move things around. They may omit things that would affect the violence. In fact, the last time I did Macbeth, the director decided that Macbeth himself beats Lady Macbeth to death. Macduff dies when the murderers come in, and Lady Macduff killed Macbeth. So it was a whole different story. And if I just went in assuming we were going to do the standard fights, I'd have been lost. So, that's number one. Read the production script. Number two, make a fight plot. A fight plot is a list of all the explicitly mentioned violent moments in the script, as well as moments of physical action that could be danger points for actors. Just at the start, as you're reading, just make a list of all the moments that you see that might need your attention, and reference them by the script page number. Number three, know where else you can help. A violence designer is more than a fight choreographer. And there are moments in the script that are not violent, per se, but they relate to our field of expertise. You have to be kind of a dramaturg of violence. Imagine there's a scene where a SWAT team comes in and does an inter and clear assault, or someone does a solo martial arts kata, or a soldier field strips a rifle. These aren't violent. But you may well have information about those kinds of activities that would help the director and actors portray them more realistically. Number four, know what the characters say about the violence. As you're reading the script, note moments where one character's dialogue describes the action or the fighting style of another. For example, a line that says, he was shot in the leg, means you probably can't shoot him in the chest, right? Because it's right there in the dialogue. Uh, Mercutio claims Tybalt fights as you sing prick song, keeping time, distance, and proportion. That gives you clues about the way Tybalt fights. Of course, if that has been cut from your script, you're free to do whatever you like, right? Number five, know the weapons demanded by the script. Now, these aren't the ones you're choosing to include, not yet just the ones that are specifically mentioned in your script or are implied in the text. You can make the specific weapon choices later. All you need is Bob opens a drawer and pulls out a gun. I don't need to worry about what kind of gun right now. Just know that there's a gun in Act 2. Next, know the violence of the time period and the region in which the play is set. Now, your production may be set in the exact same time as listed in the front of the play. But it might be set in a different time and place. The thing is, you need to know how the weapons and violence related culturally to the original setting in order to translate that to the new one for your production. For example, that Elizabethan guard entering a room holding a halberd, that is not the same as a modern American police officer with a sidearm. That is much more akin to a soldier coming in with an assault rifle. Okay, and that is a different feel for those characters. And you need to be able to translate that feel to the new setting for your production. And number seven, know some possibilities for your grand design. Your grand design addresses the entire scope of the violence within the play. It's not choreography. It's your concept of how the violence says something important. It's an actionable way that you can bring a theme or a look and apply it to the violence across the show. It helps you tell about the significance of the violence in the show. Now, before the first production meeting, you're not going to know a great deal about the specifics of your production unless you've met with a director beforehand. But have some idea of what you might like to see not bringing in specific choreography here, although if you have like an iconic moment, that might be something to talk about. The reason you wanna think about this before you get all the information is I promise you, when you come in and all the designers are sitting around that table, they're going to take turns going around the table and talking about their specialty set designer is going to explain the model and the customer is going to show these lovely sketches and fabric swatches and the lighting designer is going to break open the you know the art book showing the dutch uh, masters you know light and dark lighting kind of things they each one's going to have their little show and tell and then it's going to get to you and of course we don't have choreography yet We often don't even have the actors cast yet. And you're there mostly to take down information rather than give it, but you need to be able to say something. And it really helps if you have some idea of how the violence is important to this show. And that way you'll have something to talk about. You can refine it with the director and the production team. And then that grand design will really help you guide your um, choreography later. Well, that's it for this episode. If you found this information useful, please take a minute to review the podcast on iTunes. That really moves my feet up the rankings and helps other people to find me. You can also find the lab on Facebook at facebook.com slash violence lab. And you can also ask questions there or leave comments for me there at Facebook or on the website by clicking the Ask David link on the menu bar. You can subscribe for regular email notifications of blog posts, podcast episodes, and new content by becoming a lab rat or by clicking the lab reports tab in the top right corner of the website. Once again, thanks so much for joining me, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Until then, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David out. Thanks for listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast. For more tips, tutorials, and downloadable resources, visit us at violencedesignlab.com.